Welcome to Kibbe on Liberty. We get to talk to Chad Prather, the cowboy philosopher, and we're going to talk about whether or not conservatives are actually secretly libertarian, what American tolerance is really all about, and yes, we're going to talk about penis hats. Yes, penis hats. It's going to get weird. Check it out. allowed to do whatever you want it's kind of the way we do it yeah yeah now we got a way to define it but it this Wait. is also like uh, the one of the rules is that this is a drinking show yeah but since it's before noon i thought i thought we'd pour it into a coffee cup so people didn't know about it <laughs> people won't think we're actually yeah. alcoholics right like we are but it's i mean it's noon somewhere yeah, it is, and so I'm, I, I've just decided that, you know, I'll use the airport's example. That's the one place they just don't judge you if you start drinking early in the morning. That's right. Well, that, so. you got to drink in an airport. <laughs> so this is uh, Colorado whiskey. I don't know if you've ever had Stranahan's, but it's it's one that I like. I have. I have. I like it. I You know, I don't think of myself as a whiskey snob, but I do drink probably way too much whiskey. Cheers. Yeah. I don't know if that's possible to drink too much whiskey, actually. I... Uh, yeah, I'm uncomfortable with that phrase. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought about that. It kind of caught in my tongue when I said it. No, I, uh, I, I drink whiskey like most people drink beer or wine. You know, I, I don't. You're a beer drinker though, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, big beer drinker. I'll have one or two every so often. My wife's the beer drinker. She's a cheap beer drinker though. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I judge those people. So. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> but what I've never understood is people who go into the craft breweries and they start asking for. The, the you know they'll have three hundred beers on the wall and they're right. reading through the things and they 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 all these weird wild names and it almost feels like you're it's it's weed but for right beer right and they're like oh yeah dog's crazy head that sounds delicious <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, all I know is it's an IPA and some weird name you know that one that sounds not delicious. not that you've ever been at a weed store but you just <laughs> you just you just described it perfectly oh a time or two. We were out at we were in uh, Vegas at the dispensary out there because we were doing an episode for my show Humor Me uh, that actually comes out I think this this week uh, about marijuana and so we went to the dispensary out in Vegas forty five thousand square feet I mean they they're making so much money out there that they're having to figure out things to do like put digital floors down that react when you walk on them yeah there's drone shows in the sky yeah, and yeah. They're, they're adding another hundred thousand square feet I'm like hey man. We did a cannabis business. Hemp business is good. Yeah, we we did a we did a show uh, right after Vegas legalized recreational marijuana, and you know my goal was to sort of normalize the industry because right. you know whatever your preconceived notion is about it, it's it's really a small business guy that's trying to provide a service and make a profit, and and a lot of his customers um, aren't uh, reggae stars; they're yeah. they're grandmas that are trying to get out of bed in the morning so they use cbd and stuff like that to do that yeah. but i was talking to a guy the other day who came back it's one of those typical stories you've probably heard it a million times and i don't ever want it to get stale in hearing but it's one of these guys who came back from war a lot of issues going on and started using cannabis to i mean it really changed his life and we've heard yeah. these stories over and over, yeah, yeah. over again but something he said that was profound about that one was he said his father came to him and said you know i shouldn't have to fight the law just to be healthy yeah and, and I agree with that, yeah, hundred percent. I, you know, I'm one of those, um, one of those terms you probably hate. I don't, I, you know, I'm always still trying to figure it out. You know, one of those conservatarians that, yeah, I'm there on the right, but it, it, again, to each their own. I right. Mean, what can I do? I mean, I, you know, one, I can't legislate morality. I can't legislate. I can't, you know, block immorality. Things are, you know, and and again, there's a lot of things that I think we've perceived as immoral that are that are amoral. It, that has nothing to do with anything. So right. People live in their life, yeah. you know. Yeah, you know, it's well, but that's a like I I look at the data and and conservatives and libertarians and uh, anybody that doesn't really want to dictate the terms of somebody else's choices in life. Um they're all they're all coming around on cannabis and I I think it's particularly outrageous that that our mm -hmm. veterans, you know, uh, guys that have been through hell and back they get back here yeah. and they're dealing with issues and and you know some some political asshole says no you can't do yeah. that and that's the thing i mean you got guys who are coming back and they're on 20 pills a day your body can't regulate and heal itself when you when you're numbing it to that point yeah so yeah. you know there there does there has to be some natural remedy to it yeah 
So, yeah, we came back. I think we spent about eleven hundred dollars that day in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> you actually, you actually brought stacks of twenties in, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you have to pay cash, right? No, they'll actually take a debit card at that one. Most places are cash, but they would actually take a debit card. Okay, but no. Um, then I'm I'm reading up trying to figure out how you travel with CBD oils. You know, I'm like, yeah. are we good? Are we okay? And I'm like, probably not, but I'm taking them anyway. Yeah. Yes, so. some some are and some aren't, and there's all sorts of. Yeah. I hate the ambiguity of it, but you know the the concept of of my show, which is fairly new, is I wanted to have um, almost everybody and anybody on. I'm I'm a libertarian; everybody knows that. Sure. But but I'm trying to find the 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 common ground and and the things that hold us together, even if we belong to a different political team or we come from a different place. And I've had uh, libertarians and progressives. I had a, a really cool entrepreneur from Senegal, Africa. Um, but the one thing I haven't had on is a conservative cowboy. <laughs> and I figure if I can normalize the rest of us, um, maybe maybe we could even give a shout out to Flyover Country and <laughs> and and see if see if there's uh, even common ground with 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 someone as crazy as you. So yeah, absolutely. So that's what that's what we're setting out to I do. Figure today. I, I figure I figure I fit in good in D.C. in this uh, in this colorful coat. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> I'm not all black and gray. Did 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 you pay for that? <laughs> Not even at Goodwill. <laughs> I said, I want that. I want it just like that. And so, made it. so let's uh, um, let's assume that that my audience doesn't know much about you. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a uh, comedian, humorist. How would you call, what would you call yourself? I've never thought of myself as a true comic or comedian because I'm not a joke teller. I'm a storyteller. Always have been. And so I'm 46 years old now, and and I've always been fascinated by this lost art and concept of being. A humorist, and so I go back to, you know, some of the great writers of the past, uh, and and then even some of the great storytellers, and coming from the deep south, you know, Georgia, where I grew up and went to University of Georgia, uh, it, it, it was still a, at a time in culture where storytelling was a thing. You know, people passed down their, you know, this happened to Uncle so and so, and so I mean, I can still tell story after story of my crazy family. You know, I tell people and said I had to get out of the. I jokingly say I had to get out of the state of Georgia to escape the family business of meth. Yeah. And uh, I said, you know, I got a cousin that got arrested at a at a cat fight or at a uh, chicken fight, cock fight, uh, for selling chicken salad sandwiches without a food permit. <laughs> I said, so, you know, we did some pretty redneck stuff down there. But, uh, you know, it was always about storytelling. How do you pass that on? How do you tell it in a funnier way, a more entertaining way? How do you hold people's attention? And so that always fascinated me. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get on radio and start doing that, and then some television stuff, and then then social media virality. Once that came along, things went viral. I mean, we experienced about two and a half billion views in two years on on just me kind of giving my observational thoughts about life. And for me, it was therapy. Yeah, because I didn't I, I didn't want to go see a therapist. I just figured I'll just put this stuff out into the cyber world and let them judge it. See what happens. Yeah, yeah. So so you get that quote unquote internet famous which is a 21st century way of saying you're unemployed you're just real popular yeah yeah so <laughs> but it but it works right yeah, yeah. and it's been fun you know we, we went out on the we went out on the road back in uh in the first of 2016 and i said well let's see if we can sell some tickets and i just started renting places and, and people started showing up and so next thing you know we're represented out of los angeles and you know we're sitting with tbs and abc and cbs and fox and all these guys and you know, you're in and out of the news cycles with you know Fox News or CNN and MSN over the years. So it's, it's been a weird little journey. Yeah, the um, um, your Wikipedia page says that that the one about Southern culture, I forget what it was. Yeah, called. unapologetically Southern. Yeah, but yeah. that that wasn't that wasn't a, by any means the first one. But that one got you on Fox and Friends, right? Yeah, that was a bit that was a big deal that I didn't even know happened because I had done it. I had done that video about six months prior to it taken off the way that it did on national notoriety. So it wasn't one that was even on my radar because for me, like I said, it's therapy. I post them and then forget about yeah, it. Yeah. I'll, have, I'll have radio interviews or TV interviews who'll say, now let's talk about this video you did about Depends Undergarments. And I was like, I have no clue. I have zero recollection of ever discussing yeah. you know, Depends Undergarments with the world at yeah. large. So I put them out there and forget about them. And so they called me up. I was on my way down to Conroe, Texas, to work at an event, speak at an event. And uh, anyway, Fox and Friends, they said, can you be back in studio? So, you know, my wife and I, we were, we were thrilled. We were excited, you know, because we've never had that kind of notoriety on, on that level 
to do that. And so we got up at two o'clock in the morning to drive back to be back in a studio in Dallas. And so that was the first thing. But it, I had, I really honestly had no idea the the recognition and notoriety that thing was getting and what it resonated inside people who kind of felt forgotten. Yeah. You know, you mentioned flyover states, uh, and, and it's just folks who felt, you know, less than. And, and misrepresented and unheard. And so it kind of launched us on a career of being able to say the things that people want to say, yeah. but don't feel like they can say. You, you, you probably you probably tapped into that frustration long before Donald Trump did because, you know, <laughs> yeah. in this, uh, one of the early shows we did uh, was a, a guy from Reason named Robbie Suave, and he's he's been trying to understand intersectionality. Right. And I, I didn't understand it at all before he, and he spent a lot of time on college campus, and he's, He's trying to explain to me all these all these silos and they're 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 ranked so that 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 some sexual preference or some skin color or some religion or some ethnicity is ranked higher than another one and in this yeah. in this inner inner web of of intersectionality uh, ranks people but but the one uh, clearly the one category that doesn't count or maybe you actually get negative points would be to be white <laughs> southern cowboy like yeah. like that's that's three check marks against you <clears throat> it really is and, and you know I go even further I've, I've said that if you're you know heterosexual white Christian male even more so because there's a you know I mean my gosh University of Kansas is teaching courses now on angry white men I mean it's it's become a thing. So, you know, I came out of and lived in and still live in the equestrian world, you know, a lot of horses in my life. And, and that was the, you know, Western culture lifestyle was part of my life. But I was probably way overeducated for what I was doing. And so, it, you know, it was funny. I said, you know, I'm going to just be me. And it was a funny story. I, you know, when I, when I started all this stuff and kind of went into what I call the entertainment business, you know, I called my wife. I was at the gym one day. I was not in the gym. I was at the gym. So there's a huge difference in that. I was just out in the parking yeah, lot, right? Yeah. Called her on the phone. I said, I'm going to go make a living just being myself. And she said, well, what's the street value on your personality? You know, you're leaving a good job to, to do what? And I said, no, we'll see. I stepped out into nothing. But, yeah, I think it was, I said, I'm just going to go out and be myself. And I think that genuine nature of being able to just go out and say what people, again, what they didn't feel like they could here. So I had several people who said, well, you know, you'd get a lot further if you if you would uh, take the cowboy hat off because that's such a misnomer and an antiquated kind of thing or people yeah. look at it and they immediately judge it. And I was like, no, that's what I want to be. I want to be known as that white guy with a southern accent who sits in his truck and sometimes his dog's in the back seat. And let's see if people will get caught up in the veneer or if they'll actually listen to what I'm saying. And so... I've never, I've tried to never be a flamethrower per se, of you know, slinging you know bullets and 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 you know, what I've always wanted to do is just start a conversation with yeah. people, get them talking. Unfortunately, with social media, you know what happens when people get to talking; they they start to fighting. And right, right. Now, now, me personally, my my uh, my depraved side is actually enjoys that. <laughs> so don't get me wrong. There's nothing better than stirring that. So, shit so up. you you like triggering people. And well, I you know, but not not in, you know. And what I'm hoping to do is say, okay, look, here is a here is a way to take what I think is common sense. We're going to wrap it in humor, a little tongue in cheek, mm -hmm. make a little easier pill to swallow. Now, how are you going to digest it? And it's funny, most people I think over the years have digested it pretty well. You know, they come back and they're like, yeah, I mean, we've created a, a dadgum fan base out of this thing. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> you know, then on the other side, you have people who just can't handle anyone looking at them and saying, this is what I think is right. Right. Or this is what I believe. Because they feel like it, it, they're almost being bullied because there's that sense of dogmatism. How dare you tell me something so concrete or black and white or that you really believe that with conviction? When everything should be all about, you know, it should be postmodern. It should be what I feel about it and, you know, kind of what the flow of the day is right now. Or how many of these I've had. Yeah. And, and but, but dogmatism has been lost. Yeah. At least the ability to hear it and think about it. Yeah. I think dogmatism, the ability to just be dogmatic and receive something from a dogmatic perspective has been lost. That's why people get triggered. Well, I, w I want to test your dogmatism and, and, and <laughs> oh, see, see how strident you are, in fact, because... <laughs> And I've never done this on camera, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna come out of the closet here. I've mm. I've uh, I, I live a very weird lifestyle. I've I've been married for 33 years. Mm. I'm heterosexual. I'm monogamous, and I realize that that's that's super weird. And and I I hope 
saying this in public that that people aren't super offended by that, but <laughs> but I, I'm I'm not judging them, so hopefully yeah. they'll they'll let me be that guy. Yeah. Well, and that, that's exactly right. I I like to. Oh, and I'm white. I, I yeah. but that yeah. should be obvious. I don't exactly. know. Exactly. Yeah. You're all those same things. Yes. Yeah. But I, but I think that people look at that, and you're right. I, intersectionality, that whole. <sighs> You know, because I looked at it and I'm listening, you know, things, it's like trying to take a sip from a fire hydrant sometimes, trying to pick up where people are standing on these things, these issues and these topics. Because again, what I think postmodernism brought us is is this way of being able to define and redefine things at will. And, and, well, this is what it means to me. And the idea of absolute truth is gone. And who we hear it from has to be the right vehicle. It has to be the right voice. It has to be the right tone, accent. It has to be the right softness. It has to be, you know, all the, it, it has to be from the right skin tone. What, what's the vessel that's delivering this thing? And, you know, you, you want it to get frustrating, but we've got to find a way to come back to a place of knowing one another, a sense of community, discussing, debating, dialoguing on these things regardless of where people are coming from without a sense of offendedness yeah. from it. But I but I think that we have never felt a plight. I don't think that especially younger generations and and I I consider myself still in that, you know, at 46, the, the, you know, under me and and the millennials I think get a bad rap in some ways, some they deserve. And then this generation Z, I, there's some hope there. Uh most of my kids reside in that generation, so I'm hoping but by and large, we haven't suffered any. We haven't had any pain. And therefore, we have to, I think the human soul cries out for a plight. Yeah. And we don't, we want something that identifies us as this is what's been done to me. This is what's wrong. And, and really, we can't point to anything as 21st century Americans. Yeah, we can say 9 11, but that happened to. That hand that happened to a city of ten million, and then over in D.C., you know, the guy in Nebraska. But even young people don't remember right, that right. anymore. Yeah, right? it's 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 not like daily we're dealing with you know somebody lobbing or driving a, a red you know Datsun up and in, in it's rigged with explosives. We're not dealing with things like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's. Um, do I want to use Amazon or go to the store and get what I need? Those are tough decisions. They really yeah. are. They really are. And and now my wife is wanting to use the drone and everything. The Amazon. She's like, we got the Alexa. She's like, screw our invasion of privacy. I don't care. I need my Amazon. Yeah, say so I'm a stuff. paranoid libertarian. There'll be no drone deliveries to my house. Yeah. I want to shoot it out of the sky. Yeah. No, I, I'm a, I'm somewhat of a luddite when it comes to that that type of thing. But no, I think that's I think that's where we are. So so you know to to the point that we referred to a little while ago to comedy, what makes it impossible these days, virtually impossible to come out and just be a brazen comedian. Right. And say part of the job description is to mock and ridicule. That does not mean that I dislike you or disagree with you. I just want to point at point a light at some of the dark crevices of of life. I believe stereotypes exist for a reason. They are grounded in general facts. They're grounded in general consensus facts. Um, uh, and so it's okay. But see, these days we can't stereotype anybody. What's well, funny to stereotype people? I mean, we talk about people watching. What the hell do you think people watching is? People watching is get sitting in an airport and stereotyping people. We get entertainment out of that. I yeah. mean, how many times do we ever say that when somebody says, well, I just want to go to the mall. I just enjoy it for the people watching. What a bigot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just said you want to go stereotype you, people. You, you monster. You're an asshole. Yeah. So that's that's kind of my thing is I, I look at these people and I say, you know, just we're just re, we're just repackaging what what we've always complained about. Yeah. So no, I think in the job description, you've got to be able to mock ridicule. And that's why I tell people, I said, look, okay, I'm going to say some things. And yes, I admit I say things wrong. I have foot in mouth disease, but I'm still going to say it because I don't know, since humor is so subjective, I don't know if you're going to like this or not. I'm at least going to show you the edge. I won't push you over it. But when I meet you, I want to see how far I can take you just to see where our relationship can go with each other. Yeah. And that's whether it's one-on-one or an audience. And so I'll, I'll push the envelope a little bit. Because if I don't find out, I don't know. And as a guy who wants to take people in on that on that journey, because I think we can learn from things when we're enjoying them and, and, and you know entertained by them, they stick with us. But these days, people are, you know, that it's so... I, I just apologize, right? I, I mean, I tell them right up front, I'm not apologizing. I'm going to make fun of you. I don't care if you're white or black, fat, skinny, 
tall, short, male, female, gay, straight. None of that matters. We're going we're gonna to poke fun at everyone. You know, the deal is we're not ridiculing. That's the difference. You're not, you're not ridiculing. You're not mocking someone. You're just looking at their life and saying, oh, why are you like this? You know, really? Is this why we are? And that's kind of where we are. But people get offended because they don't want that searchlight turned on them anymore. Yeah. But but a lot of your stuff's you know, the, the first victim of your of your humor, humor is yourself. Yeah. You've got to be like, self-deprecating. Yeah. You're 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 pretty tough on yourself. Yeah. And, and you should be. Yeah. You should be because. <laughs> Trust me, clearly. There's a long line of jokes here. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. My family tree was a brush pile, man. I got it honest. No, we, but but I I do believe in being self-deprecating because I want humor that makes a point. But you know, they'll say you know for every finger I'm pointing at you, I got three pointing back at me, and, and I've always lived with that. Had I had I enjoyed the success that I've enjoyed over the last few years, say at the age of 23 or 24, it could have ruined me. But thankfully, after having gone through a divorce and a very broken situation in life and trying to decide, do you just quit on life or do you pull yourself back up? I pulled myself back up and, and kind of created a life out of it. And, um, you know, this success began with me around 40, 41 years old after I'd had those experiences. And I could put a little more in perspective. Now, for me, I had no plan whatsoever to get into, say, politics. I was going to avoid two things, politics— and current events, because yeah. current events, they, they go away too fast. Now I'm making all my money off of current events <laughs> and politics. Yeah. So. And, and, and some of the hate that comes with that. Yeah. But, but, but so I think, you know, all the way back to Lenny Bruce, and, and we could go back further, you know, my theory about comedy, particularly in America. So I, I, I consider America to be an incredibly tolerant place. Right. And, I agree. And we figure out a way for people of all different stripes to, to sort of get together. And, and comedy was that place where we could poke fun at each other mm-hmm. as a way of sort of uh, um, opening the door to a, a broader conversation and understanding. Like, like if, you, if you tell a good Italian joke, in, in part what you're doing is, is, is normalizing and humanizing exactly. Italians, right? Yeah. And we can't do that anymore. Yeah. Um, you can't say anything that offends anybody. And I, I is how does comedy function if it's not offensive yeah and that's the part that's the problem these days and and i think it's evidenced in a lot of, of our comedy specials we see and especially those that tend towards the political side of humor or our late night talk shows they're much more interested than in applause than they are laughter yeah so it's almost can i motivate you to feel the way i feel which again, we're back to that esoteric experience of a crowd who's in there and then, yeah, this guy's saying what I want him to say, and he's saying what I'd like to say, but I don't know how. Versus, damn, he just, he just, you know, he just told my mother to hide her purse because there was a black guy coming on stage. You know what I'm saying? There, I mean, there's, there's, we can't do those. We can't do jokes like that anymore. You know, Red Fox can't get on stage. Well, one because he's dead, but he, he could. You know, a guy like that can't go on and talk about having sex with fat women. You know, you can't have. You know, and Red Fox used to say, y'all knew what you were doing when you came in here. It says triple X on the marquee. You knew what you were getting. You know, Lenny Bruce and George Carlin, they were arrested for this. They were arrested for this type of free speech to be able to go out and say, you know, hey. And, and you know, you go back to Carlin's old bit, to, uh, of, you know, what the seven main words you can't say on TV and the yeah, vulgarity yeah. things. And then you go back to Lenny Bruce, who Lenny Bruce would seem completely benign to most of us today. You know, but here he is in the 50s doing what he's doing uh, and going to jail almost nightly for it. Right. To today, now I have a theory on some of this. I, uh, today, um, pretty hard-pressed to find an insult comic on the on par with a, uh, a Don Rickles. Uh, Brad Garrett is a pretty good one who does that. I've always been interested when Brad, people see Brad on a live show and they think they're going to see Robbie from Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah. And he's in there, you know telling her about her cankles and, I mean, just really going after him, you know. Uh, and they're like, oh, that's not Robbie at all. <laughs> He's, like, giving him the middle finger. So, you know, people have a hard time with stuff like that. But then I see others on the other side uh, who are out there who are really pushing the envelope, really getting there. And I, my theory is, and I, I took this from my comedian friend Tyson Pfeiffer. We talked about it a lot. I think a lot of those guys were kind of grandfathered in before everybody got so damn sensitive. Like, they, they were they were already doing those jokes, and we loved them for it. So now it's like, Daniel Tosh, okay, he gets a pass. Because he's always been that way. Does he still piss people off? Yeah, because they're so sensitive. But God, they're sensitive. When Jerry Seinfeld, who is so benign in his comedy, 
says he won't go on a college campus anymore because people get so offended. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, we've gone back. The the SJWs have gone back yeah. and 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 psychoanalyzed every episode of Seinfeld, and yeah. every one is problematic now. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, I was watching I was watching a clip from one the other day, and I was like, you know, that just wouldn't fly yeah. today. Yeah, it just wouldn't fly. So yeah, I um, uh, that that's why I say right up front. You know, I've had times where I've come out wearing the vagina hats. I talk about, you know, I'll get on stage and talk about how men need to have a foreskin rally. You know, we can all wear turtlenecks and it would look funny on the bald-headed guys and, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> My thing is, like, like we should really just get, like, some, some big skin-colored, you know, tubes and wear them on our heads and stuff like that. And I'm like, I, you know, I tell women, I'm like, I, I'm not scared of you. I, I mean, you complain all you want to complain. And I've never done a show where somebody didn't send me a message who took the time to share a message and say, well, we were disappointed in the show last night. I mean, you talked about your penis. Well, yeah, I had a vasectomy. I wanted to talk about my penis. I didn't say my dick. Now, sometimes I will transition over and I'll say, well, speaking of little orange pricks, Donald Trump. <laughs> and so, you know, you'll do stuff like that. And people are like, oh, no, wait a minute. I thought we were coming to, you know. And so it just depends on how it hits me. But I'm not going to apologize for it. And I'll say, you know, look, I got a mother-in-law. I got a mother. I got a wife and three daughters. There's so much estrogen in my household that I'm in cycle with them. So I'm not scared of any of you women. <laughs> None of you. <laughs> <laughs> so so Andrew Heaton, you know, who has uh, something's off with Andrew Heaton on the on Blaze TV and Blaze Media podcast. I, I whenever we've did, done shows together, it makes him very uncomfortable. Did did he place did he pay you to place that that place? <laughs> yeah, I know, right. We had we had lunch yesterday after some stuff and I, and I said I really do make you uncomfortable because yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, "But I'm like a tall tree. It doesn't take yeah. much to push me over." Well, he's he's like a woke libertarian, yeah. so yeah. So, but we 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 should actually just pick on him for a minute. So. Yeah, we really should. Yeah. I mean, we we did a we did a recent for my podcast. We did some recent short episodes called Highballs with Heaton. Yeah, where we you know pour a cocktail of whiskey and and then we we'll draw a topic out of the hat. Yeah. and see if we agree or disagree. Yeah, we'll talk about the whiskey for four or five minutes, and then ten minutes we'll debate. And so, um, we can get about three of those episodes in. We're pretty hammered. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But no, he's he comes in wearing a you know I'm obviously in the cowboy hat, so he comes in wearing the top hat and the waistcoat, you know. And I mean, the guy went to the baseball game the other day, the pro Heaton. He goes to the pro ball game, the Texas Rangers game, wearing his tie and his coat and his waistcoat and the whole thing. Did know? he get his ass kicked? <laughs> he probably should have. <laughs> he he could probably run away though. Well, He'll that's tell you right up front, he ain't fighting. <laughs> no, he's 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 running. He's well. He might use some sort of. Uh, he might quote a libertarian economist mm-hmm. as about the non-aggression principle as to why. Yeah, you shouldn't punch him at a ball game. But well, the thing that pisses me off is when I start agreeing with him. You know, he'll say some things, and I'm like, I just don't have the energy to disagree right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my convictions say otherwise, Andrew, but I just don't have the energy right now. But that you use the word uh, conservatarian, yeah. and and I. I'm not wild. I know exactly. I have a lot of conservatarian friends. Uh, yeah. I might actually qualify as, as I understand the term myself. But, you know, it's a made-up word based yeah, sure. on a made-up word because libertarian is a made-up word. Um, it used to be that liberal was the word that we would use because liberal meant mm-hmm. free. Um, but the progressives destroyed the word progressive in the yeah. 30s and 40s. So then they then they stole our word and then they started being liberals. Right. Um, so none of these words make any sense, and, and even conservative anymore. I'm not sure if it's uh, is it Trump nationalism conservatism, is it is it fiscal responsibility, constitutionally mm-hmm. limited government conservatism. I don't even know what that stuff is, but I but I think the 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 fact that we had to come up with a word like conservatarian, I think, um, shows that that we libertarians have done a very good, very poor job representing what I would consider libertarian values, yeah. because Part of it is just tolerance, not acceptance, but tolerance. Like right. you're, you're kind of weird. You're from Texas. I, I don't understand it exactly, but uh, <laughs> um, I'm okay with that yeah. as long as you don't hurt me or take my stuff. To yeah. me, that's the that's the entire libertarian ethos. And and you're you, you were conceived in Texas, but born in New Jersey. Born in New Jersey. Yeah, I, that, yeah. Four months of first four months of my life. That that's a burden you're going to have to forever because yeah. I've got I've got nonstop people saying, well, "What does this guy know about anything?" He texts my ass. He's born in New Jersey. Yeah. He grew up in New Jersey. I'm like, no, I didn't grow up in New Jersey. This just happened to be where my mother was when she went into labor. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> anyway, grew up in Augusta, Georgia, and yeah, I you know I come from that. That's why I think for me, 
I, I came back and I'm unapologetic about what I am. So hence the, you know, unapologetically Southern. I, I can only speak in the accent I've been given. Now, granted, over the years, being on microphone and on camera, I've tried to mute a lot of that. And for somebody from the South, I talk pretty fast. But back to your point, you know, I've always looked at myself. I, I, I've never, I've never declared with any political party ever. And so a lot of people assume that I'm a Republican, they, you know, and, and I'm not. I'm not a registered anything. And uh, I've always thought of myself a little more as libertarian. And then, like you said, you've got all of these addendums to the description. And so then you start sitting back and going, okay, so now how do I want to label myself? Because I've always been careful with labels, first of all, because with labels, and it doesn't matter what it is, good or bad, if I can label you, then I can put you in my mental box, and I can take that box and put it on the shelf. And whenever Matt Kibbe's name comes up, I'll say, oh, no, I remember the label. I don't want to deal with that label today. Right. You know, I don't want to take that box down today. And so, yeah, <clears throat> I'm with you on that. I, I just, I've tried to keep it as simple as I possibly could and just put it in layman's terms. And to say, uh, don't hurt me and don't take my stuff is a, is a pretty basic, yeah. you know, thing. I, I, I catch a little flack because I am pro-life. I'm vocally pro-life. I'm very defensive pro-life. But, you know, I've had people who say, well... You know, I have to go back to what I said originally. You can't legislate morality. You can't, you know, if somebody's going to do that, they're going to do that. You know, it's just like suicide's illegal, but if somebody's going to do it, they're going to do it. You know, and all I can do is support that same, person. Same with drug abuse. Same with drug abuse. If a person's going to do same it, they're going to do it. Same with eating too many Cheetos. Yeah. Um, well, I remember when... Uh, I'm talking to you, Logan. <laughs> I remember when... Uh, 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 Howard, uh, oh, Charles Spurgeon met, oh gosh, was it, it was Winston Churchill, and uh, Spurgeon walked up to Winston Churchill, you know, Spurgeon was the pastor of that huge church, the tabernacle there in London, and he, and he walked up to Churchill and he looked at his cigar and said, that sir offends me, and Churchill took his finger and stuck it in his fat gut and said, that sir offends me. So it's it's one of those let's pick right. what I don't like about let's pick your sin right and focus right. on that. But you're right. But I, I don't care how fat Charles Spurgeon is. Right. You know. I again I'm back to people watching. Yeah. It's a, it, <laughs> and this is the and this this to me is sort of the the, the libertarian ethos is like um, it it's okay to pick on friends and neighbors about things decisions they make that you don't make like you right. you own a dog and and I. Think that's morally wrong. <laughs> I, th- I think I think dogs are communists. You know, they're constantly begging for a handout. You got a problem, Gibby. <laughs> um, but you know that's your that's your lifestyle it's choice. A, and, it's good stuff. I'm drinking more of it. You keep telling me all yeah. your nonsense. Yeah. So so I'll I'll I'll, I'll test this theory on you. I, I, yeah. I think I can bring you around. I think you're gonna put your dog up for adoption and <laughs> and replace it with a, with a bunch of cats. I'd be ruined. <laughs> Because I don't know if you can put a cat in the back of your pickup, but <laughs> not without injury. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, cats are self-sufficient. Uh, they they probably don't really give a damn about you, and I, I feel like no. that's that to me is the libertarian ethos. I don't know if you saw it. It might be an old one. I just saw it this past week where the cat is hanging in the in the blinds, the mini blinds of the house, and he can't get out. And he says, "I know I've been an asshole to you most of my life, but I really need some help." <laughs> that is such a cat. Yeah. No, we've always had the dogs. We always had cats, but we always had, you know, barns and things like that for the cats to go do what cats do and, you know, kill mice and, you know, just go out there and be assholes on their own general terms with each other. <laughs> I decided on my second anniversary to buy myself a kit, uh, buy my wife a kitten. My wife's never had a cat. She never expressed any desire to ever have a cat. She didn't want to own a cat. She had told me numerous times, numerous times, do not ever bring home a cat. Unless it's a barn cat, do not bring home. There will be no cat living in the house. So on our second anniversary, which is the cotton anniversary, I decided to pick up a kitten that was soft, like cotton, (laughs) and I named it Cotton, and I brought it home. So what's she going to do? Now she's got a cat, right? So that went on for about a year. All of the scrapes and the scratches and the claw marks all over the... um, They will tear your house down. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, the doors, I mean, just tearing things apart. And uh, taking control of the three dogs, I mean, because she she owned the place. But she would like to go out with the dogs for about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. And she'd just hang out in the yard with them, and then she'd ready to come back in, right? Yeah. 
And so one day my wife uh, let her out. She was kind of scratching at the door, wanting to go out and hang with the dogs. And, and uh, 24 hours passed, and my wife said, where's the cat? And I said, did you ever let her back in? No, we never saw the cat again. <laughs> so I learned my lesson on that. So No more uh, cats. <laughs> do, 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 we, do, we, do we think this, this cat got out alive, or do we just not want to talk about it? You know, I, have, I, I, think, I think probably so. I think and cats probably... Uh, living the living the dream at one of the neighborhood houses because it's a pretty good cat. Yeah, yeah. But again, what do people say? It's a cat that acts like a dog. Right. Yeah. So that's that's a that's the characterization right there. Well, that that just means that the cat's not trying to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are fun to watch, though. They say they lower your blood pressure, regardless. But but I'm I'm here to help you. You you know you've you've come up with this 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 sort of contrived term, conservatarian, to try mm-hmm. to try to fit into a. A spectrum that doesn't even make any sense, but uh, I want to use language that you can understand. So I'm going to use country music to, okay. to con- try to convince you that you're a libertarian. All right. Um, the first is Lyle Lovett. You're not from Texas, but Texas wants you anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that's that's a live and let live attitude. It, I mean, it's sort of arrogant. Like Texans think they're just a little bit better than the rest of us, but it's okay. It's you a can, humble arrogance. You, you can come here anyway. Yeah. Um, probably a more important one is Mama Tried, mm-hmm. um, because I, I think the values that define libertarianism, I, I wrote a whole book on it, which I happen to be here. I'm flacking my book today. Mm-hmm. Um, don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. Where did I get that from? I stole it from your mom, and she stole it from her mom. And there's there's these basic values that, that are fundamentally libertarian that, that moms teach their kids from day one. Don't hurt people, don't take their stuff, uh, get a job, uh, mind your own business. All of these things are the things that, that I, I would consider quintessentially American, right? Right. Um, are they conservative? Maybe. Are they um, the same things that, that liberal moms teach their kid? Probably. Um, they're just American. They're just common sense. Did you buy that? Yeah, you know, I again, I go back to what I was saying earlier. I think to the degree that you can keep it as simple as possible, I think that's where it's right. For instance, you know, we've we've used the adage of of a, you know, a bird with two healthy wings, and you got a right wing, you got a left wing, and and you know, you kind of want to get in on the body of the bird. I, I think I think we make it a little too complex of where on the wing we sit, when really and truly common sense makes a huge difference. If you just apply it, um, for some reason, when when you had me on on your show, I made it not simple at all. You asked me about socialism, and I started right. quoting Austrian economists and right. and very much freaking out your your cohorts. Oh, the, well, what's yeah. That, what's that guy's name? Party foul, Steve. Yeah, he he, he was uh, he was out. He was dead to the world. Yeah, He's I, like, I, I think he might have actually taken a nap. He said, "I don't have a clue what was talking about." Yeah. that's why I asked him. I said, "You read much Friedrich Hayek?" And he, nope. <laughs> we don't keep him around for the book smarts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you know, you go back to now that there's tolerance yeah. right there. Like, well, well exactly. For, exactly. It's sort of a special needs yeah. situation. <laughs> yeah, very special needs. <laughs> we got to talk in very, very small words uh, when it comes to party foul. Uh, but he knows that. That's yeah. the beauty. That's the beauty of him. He can take it. Uh, but you know, hey, look, Jesus said, "Do unto others as you'd have done unto you." I mean, I think that's pretty libertarian. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty cut and dried, cut and dried, and pretty simple. Um, you know, I've always I've always looked uh, again to that, and we think that we can tell someone, okay, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. Whether it's government, whether it's religion, whether it is you know, whatever civic organization you may be in. Well, we're not going to do this, and we're not going to do this. And I, and I just find that when you keep pointing at things, that tends to be where people look, and that's what they focus on. And I think that rather than pointing at freedom and liberty, that we have in, in having that conversation and pointing to what— because I think that was what I asked you when we started with that podcast on my episode is, do you think we're free? You know, do you think we really have liberty? Because I, I think there's a lot of people who are disenchanted out there with— America and and thinking well we, we don't really have freedom 
But as a guy who spent 20 years in third world countries where you have to get your papers checked every time you cross a border or, or you know, there's a guy with an M16 who's holding you up and may or may not let you through this one little pass gate or, or something like that, I, I, you start to realize the difference between what I think is freedom versus what I think is liberty, and I, and I think they are two different things. I may be free or not free to do certain things in this country, but I, regardless, I still have liberty. Yeah. I, uh, you, you mentioned earlier uh, young people in this country don't know what uh, government oppression is all about. I, I just got back from Belgrade, Serbia, speaking to about 800 libertarianish kids mm-hmm. and and I've spoken in uh, the country of Georgia Tbilisi Georgia all over Eastern Europe and and the difference between them and us is that they have an uncle or a mom mm-hmm. somebody was killed by the government not so long ago it's mm-hmm. part of their family history they know those stories and they were they were largely oppressed for doing things like speaking their mind mm-hmm. like trying to run a business and things that we just take for granted here. So I do think that that part of our challenge is, is just getting people to know that that we have we have both freedom and liberty here. Uh, we're pretty much free to think what we want and do yeah. what we want. Uh, there's 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 lots of things that the government's doing that it shouldn't do that 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 oppresses that. But but generally we're free to do that. And and I and I think one of the things that libertarians have failed at is 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 drawing a, a very clear distinction between a House committee vote on five to four that decides that you can't do this mm-hmm. versus a church or a community or a civic organization or a family that's that's sort of saying, you know, there's limits to your behavior. Yeah. And it's it's based on on what your mom taught you. And and those are very important social institutions, but but they're not um, they're not implemented at the point of a gun. Right. Um, and that's what holds civil society together. And, and libertarians spend so much time talking about individualism and, and I want to be myself, leave yeah. me alone, that we forget to say that, that, that the bounds of, of liberty is, is held together by these civil institutions that have, mm-hmm. have worked for hundreds, thousands of years. Right. Yeah, and I, I, I almost see that people really want to try to come to a place where they're they, – where are the where are the fences? Where are the boundaries? How far can I go before I'm in trouble? Like, where's the limit there? How free am I? I think if we realize how free we are supposed to be and designed to be, it's it's dangerous. It's deadly because powers don't like that. The control factions really don't like a free people, a truly free people. And so I think they spend time exacerbating the emphasis of. Um, the fences and the boundaries that we focus on those so much that we don't realize that, hey, there's a, there's a pretty big pasture in here for us to graze in uh, and and do the things that we like. You know, until, until you start instituting people who want to make the fences smaller. And I think that's what we have, and I think that's what a lot of people are frustrated with Yeah, on both yeah. sides, regardless of the political spectrum. Well, it's, it, and, and, and I, I would emphasize both sides. I feel like uh, our current politics is is kind of a tribal war between between two sets of people who have uh, different sets of values, different geography, mm-hmm. maybe different skin color. I don't know. Um, but the, if the idea of politics is to make sure that we control the presidency and make sure that we control Congress so that we can impose our way of living on the other guys, right? To me, that's that's tyranny. Right. To me, that's a recipe for for tearing apart what makes America America, mm-hmm. and I, I really don't I really don't like that. And, and I try to, which which is one of the reasons I emphasize my libertarianism. I, I don't belong to Team Red or Blue anymore. I'm yeah. I'm like I I would love to live and let live. Well, I think that's where I think that's where I think that's my personal opinion and conviction is that's where we all have to come to, one way or another. Because I don't want to live out on the wings. I flew here last night in a plane. I didn't fly on the wings. I, I, you know, That doesn't mean I'm a centrist or a moderate or I'm in the middle of the road on everything. I have convictions and opinions on how things should be. You know, you take my kids. I, I tell people I've got five kids. They're doing well. You know, Two of them are off at university settings, doing great, uh, which can be a little scary sometimes. But people say, you know, how, why did your kids – how did they come out so they're smart, they're individuals, they're, they do their own things – you know, one one did ballet, another one 
was published. Another one is builds computers and, you know, has an engineering mind. We never pushed them to conform. We never pushed them. If they don't, I played baseball. If they don't want to play baseball, don't want to play sports, don't play sports. That's, that's you find you. Yeah. And so I said, I tell people, I said, well, it wasn't a matter for me of trying to teach my kids right from wrong. I wanted to teach them a value system. So if they learned a value system, then they would learn what would be good for them and what would be bad for them. Now, what was good for one might not have been good for another one, but they're individuals. And so it was up to them to interpret their personal circumstance, situation, and conviction of what they value. And then, yes, if if you value uh, not drinking and driving, you're going to say no to drinking and driving. You're not going to go do it. Uh, but you've got to value that. It can't just be, well, that's wrong, and I don't want to do it. And I think some of that has come into American politics today is is – I've got to do this, I need to do that, or I, because someone has told me that I've got to toe a party line. And I don't believe in that at all. I think we got to come into that place where you say, look, i got a conviction about this, but I'm not going to try to cram it down your throat. Because that's always been my issue, which is always why I've, I've identified more libertarian than anything else, because I've said, look, um, I don't care what you do. I don't care who you sleep with. I, I really don't. Um, it, as long as you're not you know, creating victims through your actions, which is ultimately criminal, or trying to get me to do it through some form of, form of legislation, uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care what you do. And so, you know, there, there is that element of, of people feel like they have to be a part of a party. They have to be part of a community that belongs. I hate that we've lost the idea of critical thinking and the ability to take some some um, diametrical, you know, differing things that tend to f- come together and make them work. You know, I, I'll go out and do these comedy shows and, and I'll, I'll riff on Donald Trump. Why not? You know, I mean, you, I mean, you, can't, you can't nod at some you can't, point. I mean, why yeah. not? You know, yeah. and I'll have people go, Oh, and I'm like, I don't owe me. You know, I'm telling the truth. Yeah. I mean, you, but the problem is you've gotten so blinded by towing the line and, and walking the fence that you can't even come out and think critically anymore about that what I'm telling you from a humorous perspective is true. Yeah. And it is funny. You just you you feel dirty by laughing at it because right. you have so aligned yourself with a certain party or a certain way of thinking. So this whole Trump phenomenon kind of took me by surprise. You know, back during the primaries in 16, I said I said, I feel like we're trying to pick which venereal disease we're most okay living with for the next four to eight years. And then here we come, you know, uh, you got... By the way, that's the definition of presidential politics. (laughs) That's what it is. So, you know, I... uh, you know, I was getting a tire replaced on on my truck one day, and this old guy pulls up in his red Mercedes convertible. And he says, he just gets out, total stranger. He goes, who are you voting for? I said, well, I'm trying to decide. He goes, let me tell you who's going to change it. And do it all right. It's going to be going to be good. And this is the guy right here, and he points at his Trump bumper sticker. And at the time, I was like, come on, you know, come on. But I had no idea that the faction that exists out there, I mean, some of these people are rabid. Like, like my mother, there's two men in history you don't mess with. One's Jesus, and the other's Donald Trump. I mean, she loves him. Usually in that order. <laughs> in that order. <laughs> you hope anyway. Yeah. But no, it, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. My mother, whenever I've been on Fox News, she's like, don't you say anything bad about the president. Yeah. You know he watches. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was, uh, um, and I, I told you this, I, I, was a, I was a Rand Paul guy, and right. I, was, I was working on a Rand Paul super PAC, and I actually spoke on Rand Paul's behalf at the Iowa caucuses, and, and that was the day that I learned that that the Trump phenomenon was mm-hmm. far more um, deeply rooted than, yeah. than I appreciated. And I, I think it gets back to cultural identity. And, yeah. and it's odd that a uh, billionaire who's, who's Trump yeah. is, is the standard bearer for yeah. um, flyover country. Yeah. Or whatever we call that, you know, conservative. Yeah, here's a guy who's a playboy, billionaire, real estate mogul from Queens yeah. who is – odd to look at comes from an eccentric past and parents um the most rapped about man in music history yeah you know he's he's got all the women he's got the wives he's got the riches the towers the houses and all this stuff and and you're telling me that earl that works on transmissions out in lincoln nebraska is identifying with this man yeah and saying he's going to be our champion. He's the guy that we're going to get behind. I don't care how many peas he's grabbed. I don't care, you know, how many wives he's had, how many times he's cheated on. I don't care if he paid off a hooker for $135,000. I don't care. He's my guy. Yeah. That's weird to me. Yeah. That's weird to me that it, it I, I, I get it, 
But there's no logic that makes me be able to explain it in a way that others who don't get it are going to understand. I can't give you an aha moment. Not about not about this situation. I just can't. I I mean I I didn't I didn't honestly understand it even even that day because yeah. because I, I had been a um, Tea Party organizer and right. and I thought we were building up to this 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 idea that that someone like Rand Paul, but there were other guys. Yeah. You know, there was Ted Cruz and and Scott Walker and other other uh, interesting Tea Party elected right. officials in that presidential field. But I, I but I think it goes back to your. Uh, the success of your YouTube video, Unapologetically Southern, people were feeling like their way of living was disrespected. Right. And one of the first, very first things that, that candidate Trump did is he went to the National Tea Party Convention and, and he said, now, Washington doesn't respect you guys. Yeah. Go back, and like he's like, these people don't give a damn about you. And and he, he filled that void for people. And you know, maybe it's real, maybe it's not, right. but but they feel like they didn't have a home in our national politics, particularly in this tribal warfare where one side has to defeat the other side. Yeah, and so they they choose they chose a fighter, um, and and I don't think they care anything about his personal life. Yeah, I, I really don't think they do. Yeah, um, and there's numerous examples throughout history that I could point to, but you know, we we've done them ad infinitum, ad nauseum, and and. It, it, just look at what we've got. I mean, he comes in and he says, "I'm going to drain the swamp." Well, no one's ever trusted politicians. Yeah, that's that's our pastime. We yeah. don't trust politicians; they're not trustworthy. So he kind of went deep into that inner uh, uh, soul area where people always said, "I don't trust anything going on in Washington D.C." And he said, "Well, we're going to drain it. We're going to we're going to get rid of all of that stuff." Now, me, I heard that and I thought, okay. Sure, I mean it's a pretty it's a pretty deep abyss in Washington D.C. Well, I, I mean, I I heard it as as complete bullshit. Yeah, but because most politicians promise they're going to come in and clean yeah, things sure. up, sure, and it never really works out that way. And I, no. I'm still not sure that it's not bullshit. I, I but <laughs> but I but I hope for America, right? Yeah. Like, well, I mean, to the degree we continue to see the bullshit, I think it's bullshit. I mean, yeah. it's, it's still there. Yeah. I mean, if you could smell it, it's still there. Yeah. So you you don't have to. I mean, we, good God, if you can't look around yourself right now, circumstantially in our government, and say, well, this stinks. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. bad. It's it it's the essence of it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe as it drains, you got to smell that rotten stuff down on the bottom, but. I you know, I watched I watched that whole thing and I was like okay this is this is the weirdest time in history that I've ever seen, and I asked myself why you know and why can't this guy go in there and do what he's gonna do? But see now I have this philosophy and and I'd love to get your perspective on this. So I have this idea as I've watched things is I almost don't even feel like Donald Trump is real far right. I think he's kind of left to center. In, in his heart, in his conviction, and I, that's that's his history for sure. And that's his yeah. history, yeah. but I, I kind of feel like okay, this guy's going to make now. Now his rhetoric is one thing, you know. The tweeting, the tweeting is is a laser pointer to cats. I mean, they're running all over trying to catch what he's doing, and I can just see Don at three o'clock in the morning, you know, with the white eyes and the fresh spray tan and the bikini lines and stuff, sitting on the toilet tweeting, you know. And it's, oh, <laughs> I, I don't want to see that crazy Joe Grassley. Well, that's what I love about that Salon.com uh, uh, magazine that said. That people are getting uh, sex counseling because they feel like Donald Trump's messing up their sex life. <laughs> if you're thinking about Don Trump while you're having sex, man, you got deep, deep problems that need therapy. But no, don't, I, don't even plant that. Seed. Don't yeah. even put that don't in do there. It. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I said, but I see but it's I, even messing up you right now. I, yeah. I know exactly. I got to pull it back. I was thinking Melania, 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 Melania. <laughs> Get me back on track. I'm heterosexual too, Kibby. So. Um, <laughs> and breathing with red blood, um, but I've said, I, but I think the guy they have to villainize him to the point of making him a right wing extremist. That now we're seeing the left and all these folks declaring now to run in twenty twenty. They've gone off the reservation yeah. to the left. Yeah. I mean, just talking the most crazy nonsense that they can, because they have to out insanity each other. They have to out left each other, and that's and I think Trump to some degree. If if he if he is indeed playing 4D chess, I think that's been a pretty wise move. Yeah, like I mean, they're they're looking at his success and saying, okay, identity really worked. Of course, he was looking at Barack yeah. Obama's identity politics and saying, you want to go identity? I'll double down on that. Right. Um, but 
but it's not at all clear that the, the, the radical authoritarian left, like the ones that really want to tell you how to live, yeah. which I, I think is a fairly new thing. I, I, I think it is too. I, I don't think the Democratic Party um, even five years ago was like that. Um, I disagreed with a lot that they stood for, sure. but it wasn't that sort of authoritarian uh, lifestyle thing. Um, I'm not sure that politics is going to work for the Democrats because they, they, you know, they they will turn on themselves. And you know, again, based on intersectionality, yeah. the big debate in Democratic politics right now is whether or not a white guy right. is acceptable just because he's a white guy. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't matter about anything else. And I, I'm not sure that that's uh, that's the path to victory. Yeah, there are there are white guys in this country that vote. A lot of them. Yeah. A lot of them. I, and, and I go back to, you know, I think it was Bernie who the other day said, look, if, if the Democratic Party doesn't focus on more than just we want to beat Trump, then we're not going to beat Trump. And then over the weekend, Hillary Clinton came out with, I mean, who wants to take campaign advice from Hillary Clinton? But nonetheless, <laughs> she did say, look, you know, there needs to be a vision for the country. You need to know where you want to go. There needs to be this kind of ability to say, OK, this is what I value about America and this is where I think we need to get to. And I, I, we scoff at that because of the source, but at the same time, what she's saying is you got to do more than just want to beat Donald Trump. Because it's, it's probably a red flag that she's the voice of reason. It <laughs> a very, a very but she made stiff, that strong wind blowing that red flag. Yeah, she she made that mistake. There's uh, this, um, I don't know how would you categorize him, but I, I love his work. Jonathan Haidt has done a lot on the conservative mind, the liberal mind, the libertarian mind, and and he pointed out the day after the election, he, he pulled Hillary's first ad, mm-hmm. the one that announced that she was running for president. And it was, a, it was a beautiful rainbow of all these people from all these different parts of America, different identities, different skin colors, different, different ethnicities, and different uh, religions. And the one thing that wasn't in that video was a white dude. And so, so she she doubled down on identity, thinking that that was the path to victory, and and Trump played her. So, mm-hmm. so maybe maybe she learned that lesson. I don't know. He definitely played her, and that was what he played. And I think that's what in in the last couple of years, I think that has what has really really pushed the identity politics of making the big evil bad wolf the angry white guy, because they know that that's the base that Trump appealed to. You know, those folks who said, no, we're tired of this. We're going to we're going to defend ourselves. We're going to have liberty at all costs and we're going to take our factories back and our car, you know, manufacturers back. And we're going to, you know, forget China and we're out of here and we're going to make money. And why why wouldn't why shouldn't Wall Street be booming and those kind of things? Well, well, let's face it. You know, the guy in the south side of Chicago who's who's living in the streets, he's not the guy who's worrying so much about what Walmart's. Or, or what Wall Street rather is doing, yeah. Um, you know, and, and so Trump definitely did do that. And there are people out there who, and, and so consequently, because they're responsible for putting Trump that big, you know. And I say that the campaign slogan for the left is "Orange Man Bad." They're the ones that are responsible, and yeah. so they must be villainized. They must be punished. How? I mean, did we? We had no idea there was this much white nationalism in the country and racism, and who knew that everybody was a member of the KKK? I yeah. mean, it, you know. So, so suddenly everybody's, you know, a proud boy or a tiki torch carrier or whatever. You know, we're alt-right. And it's, it's just gotten ludicrous on that. How do we come out of that? Can we come out of that? Um, I don't know if we can in the age of social media especially. I don't know. I, I think the – and I have to give a shout-out for, for us libertarians. I, I think the counter-revolution is going to be tolerance. It's going to be yeah. realizing that if you just take – true liberalism. Yeah. If yeah. you if you take all of your disputes to Washington, where one side has to win and the other side has to lose, um, there's no upside to that brand of politics right. because that that's not American. Like right. like we actually believe that if you live in New York City, you should you should choose you choose that, and that yeah. that's a certain lifestyle. It's not like Texas; yeah. it's different. Well, I look at this house. Okay, so so the house you live in, old house. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's. I imagine that for you to do anything. Here, there's probably a historical society. There, there are 
laws and oh, zoning. Oh, you can't imagine. I, can, I mean, it just it boggles the mind, I'm sure. Yeah. If you wanted to renovate something, tear down a wall, tear down a fence, rebuild a wall. And then you have neighbors around here. They're equally. They have, they have homes from antiquity, basically. And so you guys have to come together and say, okay, this has got to be done. Can we agree on this fence? Can we agree on this wall? Do I need to take it to the city council? Do I need to take it to the judge? Do I need that? Or can we just say, okay, this is what, this is what we can do. Now, can we come together and do this together? You know, that's how we live our everyday life. Mm-hmm. Why can't we? Why can't we live that on a larger scale? Voluntary cooperation, neighbor to neighbor, from the bottom up, solving problems. No one's going to do it for you. Yeah. Take a little bit of responsibility. It's it's work to get everybody together, yeah. um, but that that to me is the American ethos, and yeah. and it's pretty cool. We've done some great stuff that way. I go back to when, you know, Katrina, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans and and it was a nightmare and it was a FEMA nightmare and people just couldn't pull themselves out of that thing and people were displaced and they're still displaced and New Orleans still hasn't recovered. And we're talking about something that was 14, 15 years ago. Then in 2009, a community like Nashville, Tennessee gets hit with a flood that just wipes out their lower downtown area, you know, with 20 foot waters and just devastated the city but within a matter of two three months they're back at it because they pulled themselves up and said we're going to come in here together not wait on a federal government to send us the relief and we're going to get this thing done because it's our community yeah and i think to the degree that we can do that on 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 any scale is where we're going to be successful because then because then your cooperation and your growth is all grassroots it's word of mouth it's common it's 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 you know loving your neighbor Loving your neighbor as yourself, if we can go that far, is walking an extra mile. You know, when you're, you know, you take, you take, uh, you, take uh, you take that parable of the extra mile, and Jesus talking about, you know, if if someone compels you to go a mile with them, throughout the Roman Empire in those days, you know, there were mile markers that all those mile markers led to the center of Rome, and so any place that was under Roman rule, they had a mile marker. You knew how far you were at any given time from the city center of Rome. So here they were in in Judah and Judea, and, you know, Jesus says, hey, um, give you a lesson from life, because if one of these Roman centurions is walking with his pack or whatever, and he sees a Jewish subject he can drop that pack and say hey he can compel you you got to carry this and so here's a guy that probably wants to not carry that for a mile from and he had to be compelled to walk from one mile marker to the next but what jesus was saying is tell you what why don't you surprise him and keep walking and don't drop the pack you go another mile and that's that's in a selfish society in an instant society where, where things almost move at the speed of thought i mean we can send a a, a text message to a satellite in space that you know gets reconfigured in the air and sent back down to you know yours in a matter of instance and and yet we're so spoiled and we haven't experienced pain and we haven't experienced persecution no oppression uh the idea of, of loving somebody else serving somebody else or even going an extra mile is is it's a novel concept but again it's true liberalism yeah. it really is that's why i love it when people say well jesus was liberal and i said well Depends on what you define a liberal as. You yeah. Know? Was he a socialist? No. But but I, but I you know I he wasn't here to play political parties because he can offend all of them. So you're taking uh, taking some of these stories on the road. Um, are you are you still on the road doing Star Spangled Banter? Yep, I am. We're. Um, we do about ninety five shows a year. We're we're probably going to switch things up here. Um, I'll probably continue Star Spangled Banter through 2019 because we're starting to go back into a lot of the same cities and venues because I don't do comedy clubs. I do theaters. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we on average, we'll see 1,000 people to we've seen upwards of 3,500, which is for a white dude doing comedy in the 21st century is actually a pretty dang good crowd. Particularly for, for with that jacket. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so this this oozes sexuality, really, <laughs> Gibby. Uh, and so I uh, even got my name in it. Look at there. Boom. Look at that. Look at the inside of that. Isn't that pretty? Right. You're, I'm feeling good. I feel like you're disconnected from your roots. That's pretty fancy. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get away, man. Got to get away. Forget they know you. Change your name, all that stuff. But no, we do about 95, 100 shows a year. We have a blast all across the country. We'll take off. We're about to do a, a stretch of shows to the Pacific Northwest. We go, out to, we go to places. It's funny. We talk about the flyover states. We sold out in Seattle. We sold out in Portland. Sold out. We just did our seventh show in California of the year, and here we are just now into the middle middle of April. 
Um, we've sold out around L.A., San Diego. Last year, sold out four shows in downtown San Diego. So, I mean, it, it, and my point is, even in those places like that where you would think of bastions as liberalism, I can do two shows in San Jose, people are so desperate for the non-crazy. They'll drive in. They'll get there. They'll come, you know. I have, um, you know, our, our my company is pretty diverse in that, uh, you know, I got Party Foul Steve, who's a Marine, so so we got the uh, we got the special needs people fit in, <laughs> and we've got um, my agent is. We're gonna have to give him a platform to respond yeah, to this. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gay, gay Cubano is my agent, uh, my my Jewish manager out of L.A. I got uh, Bougie Sean, who's the uh, only black dude I know with white privilege. I got uh, Jason Hernandez, who I think is who knows build the wall. I mean, I, we're diverse, man. We look like a weird rock band when we come into the bar. You're diversely offensive. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I uh, we were in we were in Salina, Kansas, for a show a couple of weeks ago. It was snowing. We went into this deal, and I went in the bathroom because I came in the back door, and Sean and uh, Jason, who produced Humor Me for Blaze TV, they went on into the bar, and I could hear live music playing, and I and I was listening through the wall, and I was like, "Is that band singing? She's got a crap." She took a crap, and then I came out, and I walked, and they were singing, she's got the clap. She the, so I said, I don't think this is a bar for us. We'll, <laughs> we'll That's, go next door. Tra- tragically, I know that song. It's an ACDC song, and, and I, couldn't, <laughs> I, I just admitted that. Uh, you're on Blaze TV. How, how do people find this profound wisdom? Like, people are definitely desperate for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, at Watch Chad is of course Twitter and Instagram. And if you get on Facebook and search Chad Prather, you're gonna find me on Facebook and as well on YouTube. Um, you know, we've we've got a pretty st- solid presence there. We've got I've got four different Facebook pages which are all pretty big and someone labeled me a political cowboy years ago. I hated that terminology, but it stuck and then modern day Will Rogers and then I've had um, you know, CNN label me the pickup truck pundit. Because we, you know, we did everything in the truck. Yeah, it was an easy studio. I could park it in the shade. I could control the sound, and nobody would bother me. And There's no zoning it, limits. Yeah, no, it just became a thing. So yeah, uh, and then watchchad.com is the website. People can find me out there live, out and around the country. Cool, Having fun. Thank you. We'll get you out of D.C. before you get corrupted by <laughs> yeah. by the Death Star, which is only blocks away. I know. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening to Kibbe on Liberty. Make sure to subscribe and rate our podcast so we can reach even more people with our mostly honest conversations with mostly interesting people.